Hello everyone and welcome to Wes Builds a Theatre. This is episode 17 and today we are talking eSports. Could we woo? <laughs> yeah, oh, go on. Give us a woo. Give us a woo. woo! Okay. I'm here for this. We are, yeah. we are feeling hyped today. So we have Joan on, who was on the live podcast. If you weren't there, you've all missed out on. It was amazing from Contact Theatre. And we've got, uh, do we say partner? Her partner? Oh, it's my husband. Husband, thoroughly my husband, is Joseph, who is uh, chief. Is it? Were you saying the UK's first chief <laughs> gaming officer? Is that your? Claim? I'm one of about four. One so of about there's four. not many of us. Wow, and what and what does that mean, chief gaming officer? So generally, with the development of companies these days in the tech industry, we're finding that essentially a lot of companies are needing someone who understands gaming, game development, and essentially the access to the community and people need that to be able to get in there so we're, we're, we're breeding as it would be oh amazing that sounds like a cool job do you enjoy your job oh yeah i, I love my you job do. you can't see him but he's absolutely beaming <laughs> and uh joan we we missed what you do you're a philosopher and wordsmith yes yes so I what am. a power couple we have today honored um oh, so to start off with what is esports? What is it? What does it do? What's the point? Well, I guess you get the two yeah. answers for this, don't you? You get the uh, esports is the competitive playing of games at a top tier level. Is the the very business response that you'll get for what is esports? <laughs> but um, esports is a lot bigger than that. It's an entire industry. It's for most people who are in it at the moment and have been for the past decade a passion project of introducing digital sports to the world. Yeah. And I, I think also um, usually it comes part and parcel with separating between gaming. So gaming, is, anyone can be a gamer, but doesn't have to be into esports. But pretty much everyone into esports is somewhat of a gamer. I mean, you don't have to actively play the games, but you have to have an interest in the gaming aspect of it. Cool. So eSports stands for electronic sports, and that yeah. comes out of gaming. So like playing PlayStation, computer gaming, etc., etc. It's that, but like top tier competitive level. Yeah. That's yeah. what eSports is. Yeah. Amazing. And does it always have to be competitive, or can you have like an eSports tournament that's like fun? So... <laughs> Well, I mean, if you don't find competition fun, then the, uh, you're you're leaning more into the scale of gaming. Yeah. When you, the less competitiveness you have, the more into gaming you are, and then when you add the competitive and the reward aspects, that's when you get into esports. I was gonna say, I just think there's a a level at which people need to know as well that the the variety of different things that you can do in esports. Oh, yeah. Everyone immediately jumps to, well, my kids have. Call of Duty and Fortnite, so they must be mm. playing Call of Duty and Fortnite. Now you've got Tetris World Championships being yeah. won by eighteen-year-olds. You've got um, you, you've got Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers are esports. You know you can go and play games that are 20, 30 years old as esports, and and you can win large sums of money doing so. You know tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars are given away to Tetris and Mario players every year. So wow. Yeah. And the the guy that created Tetris presents the prize. When I yeah. watched it he presented the prize. Yeah. I was I was amazed. I was like, what? I don't know why I was here assuming that the guy that made Tetris would be dead. Yeah. But he's very I much alive. Yeah. 
he's it's very much alive. He's walking around. He's enjoying the tournaments. He's enjoying the atmosphere. Yeah. It makes you realise how young like the industry is still. But like even like original gamers like are, like most of them are still alive. That's crazy. Yeah. So, how does this all fit into theatre? Ron Wes builds a theatre. How <laughs> does esports fit into a theatre? So, we've had the business um, definition of esports, and then I will give my philosophical, like what is esports for me, is, and I keep trying to find the right word for it in that it's essentially a type of conduit that I feel because you can be into anything, anything at all, and you can use those skills in esports. So if you're, say, an interior designer, we need interior designers for games. If you're a landscape artist, we need landscape artists. If you know about trees and plants and history, there are plenty of games that are based on that type. We have botany game, bot botany? Botany. <laughs> we have botany games, we have civilization, which is entirely heavily history researched we have the sims where you're interior designing an, an entire life essentially and i just think people don't see the full scope of what they can do in the esports industry hey if you make curtains you can make curtains for stages on esports so when we get into theater all the creative and transferable skills that we learned in theater because i grew up in theatres and well I don't want to say I grew up in, in theatre I grew up attending the contact theatre since I was about 15 and all of the acting the singing the productions that you can do you can relate them to esports or the transferable skills in one way or another cool so are you saying there's like a competitive botany game <laughs> in well, esports that's, that's, <coughs> more in, that's more in gaming so gaming, it's gaming yeah. and esports, yeah. But by all means, you probably all, will yeah, be able to find one. You probably will be able to find a group of people that are competing with each other on a, a botany game somewhere. That That's yeah. the beauty of it. You can find anyone that's had a passion for something that's doing it. Yeah, I suppose on the gaming side of things, you have to build an entire world. And if you play, like, the newer games now especially like the free roaming world ones you've literally got a world within it where you do need to know as you're saying about the plants and everything interior design for every house because basically you're trying the aim is to build a full world yeah in a virtual world right yeah. so are you saying any job could move into the digital this kind of digital gaming world yes and no <laughs> so I feel like what I'm saying is, yes, any job can be part of eSports, but does it have to be digital? No. Because let's say you do physical work, let's say you do um, physical rigging of stages and that type of thing, you can still be in eSports, but it's not a digital realm that you're operating in. You're operating physically to set up stages and you know plug computers in and turn routers on and off and that type of thing. We need the physical um, skills that people have as well. And, and so why do you think that esports should be in theatres? So you're saying that anyone can work, you know, people can get transferable skills into esports, which is great. Maybe some people are thinking about changing their careers right now because I know it is quite <laughs> lucrative. Joe's eyes are like, yeah. I am, I'm, I'm just saying. We're sat on a few piggy banks here. 
Uh, <laughs> I think everybody is. Every, that's just the Everyone sat on a few piggy banks. You know, if you're into something, you can get into esports and, you know, hack them. Yeah, let's have well. it. Yeah, let's but, do it. But how does it fit into, like, a fit? Why should theatres yeah. have it on? So, I mean, from a practical standpoint, the reason why theatres would adopt esports is because they already have the space that the players and gamers need, essentially. So, I mean, if you look at globally where esports competitions take place currently, some of the biggest events take place in the likes of the Mercedes-Benz Arena, Madison Square Gardens. You know, these are concert halls and theatres that have hosted some of the biggest live events globally. And now they're hosting every year. It's not like, a, you know, they once did the Mercedes-Benz Arena. It's every single year they sell out the Mercedes-Benz Arena for esports. So there's no reason why your local theatre wouldn't be able to attract local people who are interested in esports and be able to get them in the door to watch whether it be a, a live event or whether it just be a you know a live video of an event that's going on elsewhere i mean if mm. if you've never seen the esports industry i employ you to go and look at video footage from asia canada canada asia north america anywhere else that isn't the uk but specifically look at china and you'll see that there are hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets to watch a big screen of a game of League of Legends. And that's just yeah. unbelievable that there's there's 100,000 people who would stand outside in the cold in Beijing for three hours watching this game. But then in the UK, people think, well, what's esports? It's not even a thing. No, it's, it's already overtaken the world. We're just behind the curve here. Well, when you quantify it in terms of comparing it to football and... Um, NFL. Yeah. I mean, one tournament alone, the international for Dota 2, that one tournament alone has a higher viewership than the Super Bowl, just as sure. an example. Yeah, so yeah. anyone wow. can get in. And, and people are already doing it. The prize pool for that tournament was $45 million last year, which in comparison wow. to major sporting events is beyond quite a lot of them. Yeah. And that's a team of, you know, five people. Yep. And, and a coach. A coach, and then they're all, and they split it that way. That is crazy. How how big is it in the UK at the moment? Has it reached the shores of the UK in a big way yet? Um, it depends the way that you look at it. Yeah. So the UK being a service industry, we don't really have the level of provision for providing esports athletes with the stuff that they need and you know we've never really invested into esports if you look at the likes of Denmark they have a facility for one of their teams the prime minister's visited it it has nutritionists personal trainers you know they have those types of facilities up and down Europe they have boot camping facilities and training facilities for esports players but in the UK we don't have any of that mm. um, however what we do have in the UK is for instance the British Esports Association and we have some players who've managed to break the mould and get into the high professional scene as it would be um, what needs to happen in the UK is just more attention to esports because generationally even if now there isn't an interest at this very second in terms of being able to fill out you know, the Manchester Evening News Arena or somewhere like that there is enough traction to be able to get the next generation of young people immediately through the doors because this is what they're going to watch. Traditional sports is, in regard to esports, 
a, a dying breed as it would be because digital sports are taking over in terms of viewership figures, in terms of revenue, and in terms of pretty much every other metric that's measured on success in television entertainment. I think also the so your question being um, has it reached the shores in a big way? The question is again as a philosopher both yes and no. <laughs> in that what Joe is saying is right, but then also yes, it has reached it in a big it has reached the UK in a big way because we in Manchester alone have the one of the largest student demographics, one of the largest Asian student demographics as well. And they're all for esports usually. I don't want to, you know, just blanket every everyone with the same um, statement, but yeah. yeah, you know, we see it with it's it's very underground, but in a big way. Yeah, I mean, Contact Theatre, for instance, being right next to Manchester University. Yeah, they have one of the largest demographics of Asian students globally, and what they don't realise is just how easily it would be mm. if you've got the League of Legends World gap. Championships yeah. playing, you know, in the theatre they'll mm. pay five, ten pounds a ticket to come in and just watch it with their yeah. friends and in a theatre setting and it's nice as well, you know, when you get into something with your friends and you want to share it and experience it together there's no place for that, we tried to watch um, there was a final in December I think it was, Yeah. that we tried to go and watch and we were looking for events and we thought, well, why don't we set up events, but I mean, it, it is an idea, and if anyone would like mm. to do that, set up these esports, you know, events, you can contact us and we can help you out if you want to. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, you I didn't come here I to be told what to pitch, do. <laughs> this pitch in the podcast, but yes. You didn't come here to be told what to do or anything. Yeah. I'm just saying, if you want to, it's not an exclusive idea. We're all if, you, for it. if you are interested, uh, you can get in touch with me at WesBuilds yeah. uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Or you can email me at wesbuildsofeater at gmail.com and I will hook you up with Joan because she's now given her consent to that. Yes. Um, so you're saying that not only... I came on this being like, right, I'm going to have to... You know, the theatre's going to have to do this. They're going to have to invest in getting some big gaming consoles down. They're going to have to get like a load more like plugs put in and stuff like that. But you're saying you could even just broadcast and get a license to broadcast finals yep. Even and I'm guessing with nowhere really doing that in the UK at the moment people are going to be desperate for people to start broadcasting finals therefore yes. your license would not cost much at all yes exactly exactly and if you partnered up with say a university who may already have their own esports team even in Manchester the three, three main yeah. three main universities have esports teams and theatres are right around the corner Manchester University, you know, could say with contact, have their training ground and their training facilities, or maybe contact would become their home ground. So when they have matches with Salford Uni, Salford Uni students come and watch it at contact, and you get everybody exchanging environments and ch exchanging ideas, exchanging plays, exchanging strats, exchanging communities, and you don't just get esports on one side and theatre on the other side. You can merge them together because the people that come for the esports will stay for the theatre if they're interested in it but I don't see why you wouldn't be because there's lots of things going on just to explain it anyone that doesn't know what contact is oh, contact sorry. is a <laughs> it's a, a theatre in Manchester 
uh, that's nicely sat right next to Manchester University, uh, but also quite close to Manchester Metropolitan University as well. So yes. it does seem like a very ideal place to try the esports out. But if any other theatres are interested, you can also get in touch <laughs> with the podcast. Right, so is digital that important? Do we think do we think we are leading into, and this might sound like a stupid question, into a digital world that's going to become increasingly more digital? Or do you think people are going to be using that for the necessary things, but in terms of entertainment, people are going to go back, like reel back a bit more to live experience because so much of their life is becoming digital? I think my favourite answer to this question is always Facebook became meta last year with the intention of creating digital metaverses for people to play in and for people to live in. Can you explain what a, a, a metaverse is and what meta is for? <laughs> so, I mean, in, just in terms of the Facebook, Facebook name themselves meta. Metaverses are obviously digital universes that are created by game developers and uh, a variety of other individuals and they're a very hot topic at the moment. But Facebook changing its name to meta, they said... By 2026, we will have a fully visitable metaverse. So a place that's completely digital that you can put on a VR headset and you can walk on out into the streets of the world in Facebook's metaverse. Now, if Facebook are saying by 2026 that's going to be a possibility, within the next three years we're going to see the, the, the fruits of that labor already from other companies who have started because mm. Facebook aren't going to em- oh, enter an empty market as it would be. Yeah. And you think people would do that, right? So I'm just thinking, like, let's say I'm playing a game, like, uh, a free roam game like Witcher, or let's say, like, Red Dead Redemption, right? When it's all this about, like, walking around and walking around the street, most gamers, right, they don't... Like in Red Dead, they put all this effort into, like, uh, different characters acting differently around the campfire, right? But most gamers go, no time for that, just want to get on with the story or whatever. So do you think people are actually going to spend time to walk around in these digital worlds and get that digital and I, what's your I do, evidence yeah. of that i think um it because when we talk about gaming we talk about specific things that we already have so yeah. we talk about titles and that type of thing um but with metaverses it's things that we don't even have yet it's things that uh. people may need like health and well-being spaces and that type of thing that they don't even know they could have and I think with always thinking very small about metaverse when we think of um, the cartoonish and caricature aspect of it, when actually there's some real work and some real um, solutions that can come out of it. So it may not necessarily be that you use a metaverse for gaming. You may use a metaverse for collaborative working where you mm. can go into a space together and work with people from different countries and you can implement um, language detection and you can translate in real time and you can have real collaborative conversations or make music together or anything you know and we, we shouldn't just limit the things that we we shouldn't li- limit the tools to what we have already built yeah so thinking about that like are we saying for example lots of businesses use slack as like a chat channel with loads of different chat things on it yeah. But instead of just typing into it, you'd walk into Slack, be able to see everyone else have proper conversations and stuff like that, but in the metaverse. Essentially, 
let's say if, for instance, Slack decided they wanted a metaverse, they could do that, but they would develop further functionality. So for instance, like you say, you can go into Slack, you type a message, you send it, it's done, you join a huddle if you want. You know, that's about what Slack's functionality is at this moment. But if they were to create a metaverse, what's to stop them turning their, you know, that one typed message into you've got a board on the wall and you can start building like all of the presentations that you would do within this and i think one of the um the key things with the future for technology and stuff is you know you you told your parents to invest in google did they invest <laughs> no they said it was stupid <laughs> um and that's look where we are now yeah. you know it's technology is forever evolving and over the past 20 years we've seen more of it and more of it and it's rapidly accelerating accelerating so when you think about digital worlds you're thinking about if i mean let's take this practically back to theaters and say you've got a theater with 250 seats and you've got a show that you are you know really happy with you think it's going to go really well you've sold out um one of the nights you know what's to stop you sticking all of the cast into some green bodysuits recording them on you know a special camera and allowing people to go and visit your theater digitally in a metaverse and witness the exact same show completely digital yeah. in a virtual reality experience that is almost giving the theater goer a reason to be at the theater every night as opposed to just on a friday or saturday yeah both physically and virtually yeah. and at the same time you know you can use a metaverse theater-wise as an archive you know you have shows that you've recorded and that type of thing you can put it on the metaverse put it on screens you can even open up a cinema in there and have timetables and schedules mm. for we're rerunning this and rerunning that you can do anything and that's why i was saying about the problem that we have as not just people but i think also living in the uk we really limit the tools that we have in technology to what we already know and what we already have whereas in other places they open up the possibilities to anything whereas we just think of oh well you're just going to go play games on it or, oh well you're just going to go do things that you already do here when yeah. you can do anything it'd be interesting in terms of rehearsals if you wanted yeah. to do something with uh, I don't know like let's say a UK company wanted to work with a company in Brazil yes. for example because you can map out an area in the metaverse you could technically in some way rehearse a piece and yeah. then almost be ready to go as soon as it's over in the UK as well. I like the idea of the performance stuff. I know like over COVID people were very cut as to mm. how well theatre moves into just recorded but if you go deeper than that into like a metaverse where you've actually created a world and it's digital because mm. you could almost like your set design can go wild then can't it? You don't have yeah, to you, yeah. can do you can have your set design that's possible in real life yeah. But then you could also have this digital piece with like a, you know, a set where anything's possible, which is quite. Yeah, I mean, quite an if you imagine, idea. you can dare, dare I say it, get some interior designers in to uh, design the set for you, and you can get costume designers and you know everyone in to do the things that they may do physically, and that can translate into your metaverse, and mm. simultaneously, you can also just open up collaborations across the world in like you're talking about performance um, there was the telepresence performances uh, which yeah. was where I think 
I don't want to say we were the first to do it at Contact, but it was very early. Contact was very early on in that game. Yeah, and to I to be did fair, that game first... didn't go very far. I really loved it, <laughs> but that's just it. Like we we think of things being done and dusted. So when I did the telepresence at Contact, you know, it was great at the time, and then we kind of left it. And like you're saying, oh, you know, it's not done and dusted at the time, but you think of tablets. Tablets were about 10, 20, 30 years before we started using them every day. It's just mm. that the technology needed refining. It needed a bit more kind of humanizing to it rather than just here's a function and here's what you do with it. We needed, yeah. yeah, we needed people to play with it. We needed people to improve it and mold it and make it for anyone who can use it. Interesting. And uh, just to finish off on that thing to do with like what you could do with the stage is I was thinking less interior design. I think stage always struggles with giving that idea of being outdoors. Ooh, so yeah. imagine getting like a, you know, you could also you could use some photography on that, but you could also use some landscape artists doing their own versions of outdoors for yeah. them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's only with like, what, two minutes thinking? So I yeah. do, you convinced me. I you think there's a whole world me. out there. I love it. I'm excited now. That's going to be keeping me up at night, ticking over in my head. <laughs> Trust me, we, so didn't even get into, we didn't even get into Web3 fashion yeah, and all yeah. that type of stuff. Trust me, there's a whole Give, me, give a quick shout out to that because I do not know what that sentence meant at all. Okay. Right. Well, <laughs> Web3 fashion is essentially the digital fashion of the future. It, it, that's the very, very base way to put it. So if you're going into a metaverse, you don't want to be in there wearing your Primark t-shirt. You want to be in there oh, wearing... Well, actually, you bought a Primark t-shirt then. Well, yeah, that's fair. The so there's companies, designers, fashion designers who have entire collections that are completely mm -hmm. digital. Digital Acts. There's yeah. a website called Digital Acts that you can see. <laughs> it has nothing to do with us. It's just something that I stumbled upon and I was just yeah. in awe of it. But I think the question mostly outside of um, your day-to-day -day technical work, because people don't speak technical all the time, um, is about Web3. And Web3 is essentially, we had Web1, which was very static pages. If you mm. used computers, you know, uh, dial-up, when dial-up was in, then yeah. you know about Web1.0. Basically looked like CFAX. Yeah, exactly. It was oh, literally yeah. just read-only. <laughs> you could put a, a couple of sentences up or a whole body of text and it, nothing moved. It was all static and you basically had to trawl through the internet to find anything. You could probably load maybe two or three pages in a night. Yeah. And then we went into Web 2.0, which brought us things like um, the widgets that we used to have and all the jingly things that people were able to put on their on their MySpaces and that type of thing. Can you explain what a widget is just really quickly? Um, You've got all the functionalities like browser extensions yeah. and stuff like when you go on Facebook and you've got like scrolling news feeds yeah. and all of the yeah. games that you can play. Stuff well, that, that wasn't available even 10 years ago mm -hmm. to some area. But well, when I was uh, talking about widgets, it's um, I was picturing more like the emojis that you used to get. Before we had emojis, we had the little things that moved when you were on MSN and you type <laughs> things and it would sparkle everywhere. Yeah. That was, you know, web 2.0 transitioning into web from web 1.0 to web 2.0.
then we started to get things like YouTube videos and that type of thing and VR and now we're moving into web 3.0 so web 3.0 isn't necessarily this you know ubiquitous thing that nobody you know has seen or touched when you go and watch videos and live motion things you are transitioning into web 3.0 that is the the technology of freeing up the static page through web one from web 1.0 through to web 3.0 it's just freeing up the space on the internet to be able to move and do the things that you want it to without having to code everything in the background all the time <laughs> yeah. okay so when you say you don't have to code it all the time is it that it's learning it, a lot of the time, yes. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the very basic function, um, so a lot of people who work in the, the modern tech industry now are AI and machine learning specialists, so mm. they're, they're very much in the realm of artificial intelligence and computers that learn from the activities that they perform on a daily basis. Yeah, cool. and, and people have developed um, tools and programs to do things without programming. You look at things like Wix, where before, if you, you know, had a MySpace, you had to code the HTML in the background yourself, whereas with you know sites now like Wix and that type of thing, it's done for you. You just move it around and they put the code in. Yeah. And you can just generate it separately. So basically, by making things automated or learning, you can do things much bigger. Yeah, and yeah. And, and also yeah. it means that people who haven't spent you know three years at university studying computer science and development can do things that they want to do on the web as well. The whole point is that you, as an individual, are free to do these things without needing someone else and that type of thing. So being a creative on the internet is going to be even easier than ever before yeah. as well. Yeah. That is yeah. interesting. That, that that's is the vision, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked with a company that essentially can collate a load of clips of, for instance, your gameplay or what you've done on the internet, yeah. and they can essentially create an entire personalized video for you that you'd be able to upload so i mean you could put all of your podcasts in there and it'd pull all of these top points and it'd use machine learning to do it wow like gaming show reels as well yeah. or you could just you could show reel any aspect of your life any yeah. aspect, yeah that you've and it does it automatically yeah. once a day you'll get a video yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to do that with parenting. I don't know how much will turn <laughs> up, but <laughs> there's enough parenting videos going on on my bed. There's enough, yeah. So how do theatres get involved in esports? It's not, it sounds like if we're doing this UK based, it sounds yeah. like there's, there's no infrastructure there at the moment for someone to go to. I guess, uh, Joseph, you're touting yourself here as a, as a gatekeeper in you as well, Joe? Or... <laughs> Well, I, what are we I thinking? I would say well, we're not gatekeepers. I mean, I am a proud esports evangelist. I will evangelize. <laughs> there we go. That's a better terminology. <laughs> we'll go for that. I will evangelize to anybody in any industry about how they can get into esports, and not just how they can get into esports in what esports is, but how they can get into esports in what they do, because that's the that's the I, I want to say the magic of esports is that you can not just go into it, but you can also build around it on whatever it is that you want to do so if you're an accountancy you can go into esports accountancy or you can find an avenue for yourself depending on what it is that you want to do each business exists for a unique reason and you can not even just business you know educational facilities theaters anywhere you can use 
the platforms and the tools and the creativity and the open aspect. It's essentially, esports is essentially an open world that you can go and do things in and bring your own stuff and build your own things. I think one of the things I'd say is I've we don't need to... i digressed, sorry. <laughs> we don't need to look too hard in the industry in the UK. Um, for instance, our solicitors at the company I work for, they're one of the oldest law firms in the UK and they now represent an esports team. Yeah. So, you know, the adoption is coming and I've been a consultant for a couple of years. I've consulted companies in law, accounting and those types of areas in accessing the esports industry because mm. it is a very closed circuit and industry. As well. Yeah, and the gambling industry yeah. are trying to get involved as well, but they 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 like to stick their finger in pretty much anywhere they can get. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I've I've dealt with these companies who traditionally try to get into as many markets as possible. But what they find is that esports is one of the hardest markets to break into because it is a passion industry yeah. and it's an engagement yeah. industry. So gamers, by their very design, have always been slightly uh, skeptical, protective, protective yeah. and skeptical. So, for instance, when Coca-Cola a few months back released an advert um, trying to breach their way into the esports industry, it, it didn't represent what everyone thinks the industry is, and Coca-Cola got blasted for it yeah. they mm. got their their attempt to sponsor teams was removed their attempt to get into the industry and this is we're talking about a megalith in coca-cola here yeah. we're yeah. told no we don't want you we're fine thanks well yeah that's because i will say from an advertising and branding background and then also being passionate about esports it it kind of just there was so much that they didn't research and understand that you can tell when somebody wants to get into esports for the right reasons and like joseph is saying that it is it is a passion industry and you have to be passionate about some aspect of it in one way or another in terms for... of like how theaters would get involved and like the passion that they have to have for it all they have to have is a passion essentially for young people yeah. these days because young yeah. people are essentially what esports is at the moment i mean you're not get it's very rare you're going to stumble off someone in their in their 50s who's going to know what esports is but mm. if you get a group of you know 18 year olds and younger you know down to that 13 14 range these are the people who not only watch esports mm. there's a chance that they have played competitive games in some way shape or form and there's a high chance that they're more educated on it than the majority of the adults who you'll speak to and yeah. having them turn up just to the theater mm. and showing that the theater has a passion for those young people to allow them to explore this area mm. so you know whether that's you know we've got a gaming pc because everyone seems to think gaming pcs are going to set you back about fifty thousand pounds they're not that they're really that you can get reasonable gaming PCs for the same price as, as a work laptop or less these days. Mm -hmm. So under no circumstances do theaters have to break the bank. But you know, invest in two computers, yeah. and you have access then for gamers to come in, practice. They can play. They can design. You know, put design software on there for game yeah. development and stuff. Your total outlay sometimes could be a thousand pounds, but you attract ten more people a week into your theatre who are there for the esports. But for the um, people in the uh, in the more kind of thinking of the finances and the numbers of things, there are many ways and many avenues to um, generate, to regenerate income and to 
also bridge that gap between, well, we've spent X amount, what are we going to get in return? There are plenty of streams and plenty of ways that you can do that, that don't involve people specifically going in to rent a PC and going in to um, physically pay for something. It'd be interesting to have a relatively high-spec PC on offer, though, because I remember stuff like when Segas were new. Ooh. I remember, like, car garages would put Segas in so that when your dad was like on a, you know, like looking at cars and stuff, you'd be like sat there playing Sonic, and then you'd end up with your kids turning around being like, "Can we not go to the car garage again? Like, I want to go and play Sonic. You know, the ones without any consoles." Yeah. And I'm thinking, if you had a slightly higher spec console, like, or you know, a PC in your theatre, then you're gonna get kids down, aren't you, to come and play yeah, on it and like, have that extra edge. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is very interesting. And then, obviously, yeah. off that, the people that you've engaged, you can then ask them what they want, and then yeah. you can start building your kind of esports area around them. And I do think now, after you've said a few things, though, I do think you can't go into this being like, we can get a cheap license and make some yeah. cash out of it. Yeah, I feel like it needs to really do, as you say, come from a place of passion, being like, we really want to get gamers in and we want to provide something for them and exactly. give them. And with theatres being the masters of live experience. Mm, exactly yeah i imagine giving gamers that you know they used to the virtual experience but giving them a version for them of a live experience done really well i think it'd be quite important and really good for the gaming community too so that sounds amazing um finally and you could do this together or we could just point it at uh, joseph what if you could build any theater in the world what would it look like what would it be no rules attached all the no money rules. yeah <laughs> Oh, well, it'd be completely digital. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this. I don't want to leave my house. No, I mean, um, I think I always liked, like, pantheons. So, you know, give me a pantheon. Um, I think, it, I mean, I'm gaming gladiators uh, esports team, so we like a nice coliseum. <laughs> Put me in the middle of a coliseum. Um, like, a, like a digital coliseum? Yeah. Oh, we have one. We <laughs> we've built one. You actually built one. So you've got your. How do you go and see your digital coliseum? Uh, it will be released in about a month. I'll send you a link when it's available. Definitely, and then I'll be able to share that with everyone that listens. Absolutely. So we will be able to go to Joseph's dream theatre. That is amazing. I mean, I did not expect that to come around the corner. I know so quickly. I am so I'm so excited. So yeah, we'll definitely share that with everyone once it comes out. Um, yeah, just wrapping up because I feel like we've covered a lot of ground and I feel like, you know, we could talk for ages on any more points of these. Is there anything you think we've missed out on that you really, um, bur a burning desire to make a point on? I did just want to add just um, to the point of what Joseph was saying in that his theatre would be entirely digital uh, because he doesn't want to leave his house. And we see that with a lot of people, you know, since COVID has hit, people have realised, actually, I don't want to associate with too many people at once I don't like large crowds and Joseph being one of those people who is you know social but isn't as social as I would say I am I like going places so I would very much support a, a digital theater but I would also very much support the physical theaters because I love a space where you mm -hmm. can get together and feel people's energy and bounce ideas off each other and you know, when we did the live podcast, there was a lot more atmosphere about it compared to how we're doing it here. And that's another thing that um, the demographics of esports and theatres and theatres transitioning into digital 
um, kind of juxtapose because mm. one demographic is very much about the traditional and the physical and the stage and then the others are saying well we can do everything online now so why do we need to go and see that but mm. there's a, a, a bridge in between everything and there's a balance to every ebb and every flow and I, I completely understand both sides you know I think there's room for everybody and there's definitely ways that we can get together that would open us up to working together to find how to get one polar opposite and the other polar opposite to connect together. Yeah. I find this interesting with the whole esports thing and wanting to have live events and sit next to each other. It's that yeah. thing where I've yeah. said it a few times on this podcast. I think the aims of theatres, because it, <laughs> it's a controversial thing to say, but I feel like the way that theatres go in, it's, it's in a slow demise in terms of audiences potentially. It yeah. doesn't have to happen. There's exactly. still time to save exactly. it. Yeah. Um, but part of that is making something that's worth getting people out the armchair for. Yeah. And if you can do stuff that enables experiences that are already happening on at home in a larger way or with more atmosphere or enhancing it somehow, that's definitely one way to do it rather than rigidly turning against it and being like, that's not an art form that we deal with. Exactly. So I think esports is definitely a very exciting way to go in the future. So this has been Wes Builds of Theatre. It's been amazing. I think we all need esports in theatres now. My Old Trafford Theatre is definitely <laughs> going to have an esports. Maybe I'll just build an esports arena in it. Ooh, Maybe it won't be as like it'll have its own. Yeah. Oh, good. Not a good. If people don't know that reference. Uh, <laughs> Um, card or, or Call of Duty uh, when you play the massive online game has it's like a gulag like war prison that you go to to try and get a second life uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe I we didn't have mean it in such a dark <laughs> I didn't mean it in a dystopian way I mean it in a more utopian way you can have a utopian gulag an exchanging yeah. of ideas you can go in there and battle out minds middle of an outro Gulag. 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 You can have gulag for poets and, and you know, singers and that gulag type of thing. Gulag for poets? Yeah. Oh my god. Genius. When you take, yeah. when you take this in its real life historical <laughs> way as well, it's just really grim. But what a great, what a great, what a great way to... I mean it utopian. I mean it in the most utopian way that I could possibly think uh, of. Even yes. the idea of a utopian gulag really gets me. I love um, that. That, so, sh that so, should be something you should explore. Definitely. <laughs> Maybe we'll see that at the Digital Coliseum, the uh, Utopian Gulag digital area. Um, so this has been Westbuilds Theatre. Uh, you can get me at Westbuilds on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to our Facebook page, which is Westbuilds Theatre. Or you can email me if you've got something a bit more long form or you want to talk to Jonah Joseph and you're a decision maker in a theatre or want to influence someone in a theatre at Westbuildsatheatre at gmail.com. It's been a lovely time. Thank you so much, Jonah Joseph. You've really no, opened my you. mind into this whole new area. Well, it's not even new. It's been around since the 80s, but growing yeah. area. Exciting Grow, Yeah, area. it's grown more in the last 40 years than football has in the last 100 years. Amazing. And on that note, ta-ra. Bye. Bye. Bye.